Well, I want us to take a look at two different passages, one in the Old Testament and one in the New. And uh, Blake was telling me <clears throat> that uh, you were following a plan of, of going through the Bible and uh, your next target was numbers. And he said, now you don't have to preach off of numbers. And uh, he said, but I figure you have something in your file on that. And I, and I did, and, I, and it was an old sermon outline, and it was a hideous sermon. It was just, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have wished it on anybody. Although, over the years, I used it on a lot of people. But it's going to be the same text that we're going to look at. It's Numbers chapter 21, and then we'll read from John chapter 3. And as we read that, we'll, find, we'll see very quickly and easily why... We're reading both of them together because they kind of fit together with each other. Anyway, Numbers chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, we'll go down through verse 9. When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of the Atharim, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord obeyed the voice of Israel, and he gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So the name of the place was called Hormah, which means basically destruction. Now from Mount Hor they set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? But there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Or if you have a King James Version, it calls it light bread. And that's not talking about Miss Baird's. It's saying this stuff that you're giving us in the way of manna stinks. We're tired of it. But anyway, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on the pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, let's look at our passage here in John chapter 3. This is one you're really familiar with. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? 
truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who d descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And, now get this, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It just doesn't get much better than that, does it, folks? You know, I don't know, it was about a year or two ago, I had gone to see my friend, the pastor at Minden Baptist Church, and we'd spent a little bit of time together. It was kind of a chilly day. I mean, I had a little bit of a nip in it. After we got through talking, I went out there and got in the truck and cranked it up, and it was the most horrible sounding racket I'd ever heard it make. It was like I thought something has gotten caught in the fan. And so I cut off the switch. I raised the hood, I looked down in there, and I thought, I thought I saw something that looked like the tip of the tail of a snake. And, and then it disappeared. And I thought, well, I'm not too sure that that's what I saw, but I saw something, something's in there. And I thought, well, maybe if whatever it is is gone, I cranked it up again and still made the same racket. I cut it off. By that time, Brother Matt had come out to see why I was making so much noise. And I stuck my arm down in there, and you know these Ford pickups, they have two fan blades on them. And I stuck my arm down in there, and I found one of the fan blades, and it was busted up to pieces. And I said, well, I said, whatever it is, the light's not good. And I said, I'm not going to be digging around in there until I can see better. I said, I'm going to just drive it home. It's cool. I'm not going to drive it too fast, and we'll just see. I've got, another, I've got one fan that works. So I made it back quite well. Next morning, I went out there where I could see better and got it out in the light. And sure enough, I started pulling this thing out, and it was a rat snake. It was about five feet long. It, of course, it was really dead. I mean, it was jerky by, by the next morning. Anyway, and uh, threw it away. Those things happen, don't they? I'll tell you another one. You know, before we moved to Mount Enterprise, I was a pastor in Orange, Texas for about five years. You know, and there was a lot of, a lot of snakes in that area. We lived in town, you know, in a neighborhood, but there was an eight-foot deep ditch back behind our house. There's a drainage ditch. We saw snakes around the house all the time. And at that time, and one for some of the time we lived there, Beverly was an, uh, an ICU nurse at the Baptist Hospital in Orange. She usually worked the graveyard shift because she's a night owl. And so one night, it was about nearly 10 o'clock at night, she called me and she said, we want you to bring some hamburgers and stuff to us in the ICU. She said, We're, all the nurses are hungry. So she gave me the order. She said, I've called it in at Whataburger already. And so I, I got up, of course I didn't have many lights on, I was watching, I think a boxing match on TV or something carnal like that. Anyway, and so as I was getting ready to, I stepped out of the den up into the hallway to go back and get my keys and I thought I saw a snake coiled up right there at the doorway. But the light wasn't good, and the carpet was brown. And I thought, I, and so I, I flipped the light switch on. I still couldn't see any better, and I got a flashlight, and I looked down there, and it was a snake. 
Now, it wasn't a big one. It was only about that long or so, you know, and it was, it was, it was a garter snake, so it wasn't going to kill any of us. And, uh, but I thought, I've got to get this thing out of the house before Beverly shows up. And so I tried to be gentle and pick it up, and it didn't like that. <laughs> and so I whacked it with something. And I whacked it pretty hard and knocked it out. And I got it, and I threw it out in the front yard, and I thought, well, it'll be gone by, before tomorrow. And it was. And I thought, now, I'm the only one that knows about that. <laughs> And we're going to leave it at that. Well, you know, they finally came when we moved to Mount Enterprise. And, of course, whenever you move somewhere, you unload stuff, you're putting things in places and all that, and at the end of the day, you're just worn out. And that's the way it was one of those evenings. Beverly and I were sitting there, and she was sitting in the rocker, and I was sitting in the recliner and just kind of enjoying the peace and quiet. And I finally turned to her, and I said, you know, there's something I've been wanting to tell you about for a long time. <laughs> I told her about finding that snake in the living room. And she said, if you had told me that, she said, I would have never lived in this house again. I would have left you. <laughs> well, you know, how would you react to snakes in your house? <laughs> Quickly. <laughs> well, our story that we read begins with the people of Israel. They were wandering around in the Middle Eastern wilderness headed for the promised land. They had been at it for 38 years, coming from Egypt up to where present-day Israel is. You know, other than Moses and Joshua and Caleb, no one in the group of the Israelites that were heading for the promised land, I mean, no one in the group was a grown-up when the journey began. No one. No one except Moses and Joshua and Caleb were still able to say, as a man, I saw them divide the Red Sea. The promised land, they should have been there in 36, in, in less than 36 years. They should have been there in two years, but they had a problem. They had a big problem. The problem with the people of Israel at that time is they doubted God's promises time and time again, and at times... They acted like they wanted to go back to Egypt, where, where they had come from, where they had also moaned and groaned while they were there, moaned and groaned about being slaves. And as a result, God finally promised that no one over the age of 20 at that time would enter that land flowing with milk and honey. That is, no one but Moses and Joshua and Caleb. The spiritual journey of the people of Israel as they were going from Egypt to the Promised Land it was 36 years of being up and down and up and down and up and down. But God was always the same. He always kept his promises. Now at this point where our story begins, they were getting close. Matter of fact, it was like they could almost smell it. They knew that they, they didn't have much farther to go, but there was a problem. They were entering into the Canaan land and there was a king in the, from the area of Arad, and he wasn't going to let them go through without a fight. And they took on each other, and Arad, the people from Arad, gave a thumping to the Israelites. Even uh, uh, caught some of them and put them in prison. And so, guess what the ones that were left over did? What they always did when things didn't go their way. They got to griping, and they got to whining, and they didn't like this. Well, no, I'll take that back. I'm getting ahead of myself. They kind of got steamed up about this. And so 
they called upon God and said, if you'll give us a victory over these people, we'll devote it all to you. And so that is exactly what they did. And God kept his word and he gave Israel the victory and they were able to get their prisoners out and all looked good. And so the next place they were planning to go to was Edom. That was going to be next on the list. They were going to be able to make a, a straight shot north and go through Edom and get up there to where they wanted to be. But that didn't work out right. Because the king of Edom did not want them to come through his country. You see, Edom was made of the descendants of Esau. And who was Esau? Jacob's brother. And Jacob was also known as Israel. And he said, you know, no way. He wasn't going to let them go through there, not through his territory. They can find some other way to get there. Now, that made the Israelites mad. They decided not to take him on because God said, you know, it's no time for you to be fighting with kinfolks. You're just going to have to take a different route. And that was what they did. They had to take a more circuitous route to get there. Now, as you might expect from the Israelites who are in, just famous for complaining and whining, they weren't happy about this at all. And they became impatient. And they started speaking out against Moses, God's appointed leader. And they even spoke against the Lord himself, which took a lot of gall. They complained about their lack of food and water, even though they had plenty of both. They complained about the manna, which, I mean, manna probably wasn't like eating ribeye steak every night, but at least, you know, it was food and it was nutritious. It had sustained them for 36 years. And, and, and they had done quite well with it. And they always had plenty of it. And they had plenty of water. So, in light of all this, it seemed like it was time for them to have another lesson in faith. And so the Lord sent a plague of snakes to wake them up, so to speak. And it did. They were called fiery serpents is the way they were descri or described in the Bible. We can't be sure of really what kind of snakes they were. Really can't be too sure of what they looked like. Uh, some people have said, and this especially back some of the old divines from back in the 1800s that had been over there and searched out that land. Some of them said, well, what it was was that there were snakes, and I think there may still be some type of a cobra or something in the Middle East, and it has red spots on it. And they said maybe that was why they called them fiery serpents. But I have a feeling that maybe what it had to do with was this, was when they bit you, you got inflamed. And their bite probably felt like you were in a ring of fire. So, more than likely, that was what it was about. All we know, though, about these snakes is that they were deadly. Now, you think about this. How would you like to be in a situation like this? How would you like to be out in a place walking around Bermuda shorts and, and sandals, and, and all that was out there was coral snakes and diamondback rattlers? I don't think I would enjoy that. And so, every, but with them, every step they took together, firewood could mean a painful death. Every night, someone might feel a slithering creature moving around inside the tent, or at least hear one. Every day meant more and more people were going to die. And so, what did they do? Well, they called upon Moses to pray for them. And he did. And God gave Moses the prescription that they needed for those biting snakes. And he did something a little unusual. Moses was told by God to, to make a snake. In other words, you know, kind of a thing, and make it out of bronze. 
The bronze would be made out of, it was made from copper and zinc, I believe, and it was something that was pretty, uh, pretty much available back then. To make that up, put it on a pole and set it out and tell people, you look to this and you will be healed. That was the only thing he told them to do. That was what they had to do. You want to be healed from this? You look at this serpent that we put on a pole. They weren't supposed to worship it, but all they were supposed to do was just trust God who gave them this prescription. Anyone who did it, God said, and trusted in the Lord would be healed. And God's promises held true, just like they always did. Now, let's think about what was wrong with these people. I mean, really. I mean, one of them is this. Well, one of the things we have to understand is this. Their problems that they had were brought on by a series of failures. Number one, they became impatient. You know, it was as if they knew more about when they should get places than, than God did. They felt like that they were much better at scheduling things than God did. You know, you have to understand something. God never drags his feet, but he never does run. Well... I'll take that back. I don't know. I don't know if any of you ever heard of this evangelist named Angel Martinez. Anybody? Oh, gosh, I'm aging. I'm dating myself. Anyway, he was, he was a Texas evangelist, very well known at one time. I'm sure he's going on to be with the Lord. But he, I remember a sermon that he preached on the prodigal son and uh, how he left home. And in the, this, it was a parable. And in the parable, the prodigal son's father was really God. You know, that was how it went. And anyway, it says whenever the prodigal son took off and, you know, blew all of his money on fast women and cheap gin and, you know, ended up going broke and didn't have any way to get by and he finally decided to go back home, he said, you know, here I am wanting to eat slop and, and all of my daddy's servants, they have plenty to eat. So he starts going back home and said the father was watching one day and he saw his son coming down the road and it said the father ran out to meet him. And Angel Martinez said, it's the only time in the Bible you read about God getting in a hurry. <laughs> I like that. But anyway, but God never does drag his feet. God is going to do what ought to be done at the time that it should be done. The Bible tells us something. Whenever we feel like getting in a hurry, it says to rest in the Lord and wait patiently on him. If it seems like we're not in step with God, guess who's off? You know. Remember, God always has a schedule. And God's schedule is always right. And that's the thing that we all have to learn. You know, I've had to learn it again and again over the years, but I still go back to one, a couple of different things. I remember whenever my, I was, uh, God was calling me into the ministry. And I wanted to be sure, and I wanted to be sure like right then. And my grandmother sent me a card. And what was on that card in the front said, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently on Him. And that was right. I know... Uh, back whenever our daughter was, was about to be born. It's back in 1981. Uh, we, we were, the doctor told my wife, said, get up here to the hospital Monday morning. If you haven't had the baby already, be here at 7 o'clock, and we're going to get this show on the road. What it was, he was going to go to a medical conference, and he wanted to be there to birth the baby. And so we, uh, we waited. We got there at 7. By 12 o'clock noon, nothing was happening. And uh, by 5 o'clock that afternoon, still nothing had happened. I was starting to get a little bit impatient. I wanted it to happen right then. It was, it was getting to be about 10 o'clock at night. Went by, you know, my wife's room. She was back in the 
birthing area. And there was our doctor sitting in there watching the Dallas Cowboy football game. And uh, I said, man, I said, we need to get this show on the road. And he said, that baby is going to be born when God wants her to be born. Understand that about our life. We have a good shepherd that always takes us to the green valleys at the right time. You can always trust in him. Trust in him. He knows so much more than we do. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows where he's taking you. Don't be afraid. Another thing is this, is the problem that they had was that the people were obviously, they obviously failed to pray. You know, that, they, were, they were looking at the problem and not at God. And what, they needed, what we need to do is look to God and trust Him. You have problems, let Him know about it. He's good at that. You know, I, I'll tell you another story. You know, the older you get, the more tales you tell. But, so pardon me if I'm boring you to death. But I remember back whenever I, the first place where I was a pastor, it was in Yorktown, Texas. If you've never heard of that, most of you haven't. You've heard of Shiner. It was about 45 miles from Shiner. Uh, uh, Quero, Yoakum, all that part of South Texas. And uh, some kind of an issue came up in church, and I've forgotten what it was, but it involved spending church money. I think it was they were talking about getting a new parsonage because the one they had was 80 years old. And so that was what they were going to do. Well, there was the oldest deacon in the church got real twisted off about that. He didn't like it. He didn't want he said, well, if we buy that parsonage, our pastor will have a house that's as nice as mine to live in. And he got really, really ugly. And then his wife got really ugly. And it was terrible. And I, I had always gotten along with him. I mean, it just, and they called me on the phone the next day and just chewed me out. I, I just never expected that of them. And I mean, I was just brokenhearted. I mean, I didn't care if we had another house. I just wanted them to stay friends. And I didn't know what to do. I needed to talk to someone. So I went to the next oldest deacon in the church. He was back then about the age that I am now. He had been a shrimper down on the Texas Gulf Coast. He was a tough old bird, but he was a good, good man. He had a lot of wisdom. And I went to see him. I remember I just broke down. I got real emotional about it all. I didn't want to see a problem come up like that in my church. And I remember something, and I still, I remember he grabbed my hand. He said, let me ask you a question about this. He said, is this problem bigger than the church? I said, well, I don't guess so. He said, is it bigger than God? I said, well, no. He said, well, it's not a problem, is it? <laughs> I never could forget that. And I still bring it to mind every now and then. You know, what I needed to do was pray. We needed to pray, and we needed to pray right then. And we did. And you know what? That little old rascal, <laughs> it got so mad, he didn't quit coming to church. And, you know, and he got over it. And by the time I left... He, I remember that he came up to me and he said, well, we've had some differences, but that's nothing between friends, is it? He said, by the way, you got a chance to go, go uh, quail hunting with me next week. I said, yes, I do. But we were, that's just the way it is. We have to pray, remember to pray. 
If we would pray more and worry less, we'd be a lot better off. Another thing is this, is they apparently forgot about the victory which God had recently given them. They forgot about the other thing, about the guy that, that came in and, and whipped them and took some of their people prisoners. They forgot about that whenever God told them, you go in there and, and uh, I'll give you the victory. And that was exactly what happened. They forgot about that. And uh, they forgot about the blessings of that. They forgot about the blessings of God's providence. He had provided them with food and water for all that time that they were out there. And they forgot the fear of the Lord. You know, they had the unmitigated gall to badmouth and slander both Moses and God. You know, they forgot that God isn't stupid. And unlike ourselves, God has perfect knowledge of everything. God knows the beginning from the end. He is not asleep at the wheel. He is not cruel. And furthermore, many if most of our problems are our own making and not His. You know, what we need to do is understand what our attitude should be toward God. He's not your good buddy. He's our loving Father. But at the same time, He's the one that we should fear. Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body, but after that, do no more. You fear the one who can cast both body and soul into hell. You know, he is our God whom we should respect at all times. You can say all the bad things you want to about God, but it's not going to make him any smaller. Another thing is this, is there's a tr there, all their problems, though, could be bundled up into one thing. And that is, they lacked faith. You know, it's one thing to be cute or clever or creative. You can get by with these things. You can even get by, you can still please God with, without those things. But with God, there's one thing you have to have. It's impossible. You have to have faith because without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's just the way it is. And if you want to please God, you start off with trusting Him. Trusting Him to do what He says that He can do calling upon him whenever you're in trouble. And so what happened is this. Whenever they called upon, whenever they did, did what they were supposed to do, whenever that bronze serpent was put out there, it was not some prescribed idolatry, but the people were called to look upon it. All they had to do was look, just look, and trust in the Lord to heal them. They weren't to trust in themselves. They were to trust in the Lord alone. They couldn't do enough nice things to earn uh, what they were looking for and earn a healing. They couldn't take up a fresh offering. They couldn't sing a new hymn. They couldn't polish up some fixtures in the tabernacle. All they could do was trust in God's grace. If they did otherwise, they were doomed. And the situation is the same for us now. You can't buy God off, but there's one thing you can do every day, and you can trust Him every day. And whenever you do that, there's no need for any other prescriptions. But then, we read about the cure for us today. You know, Jesus, whenever He talked to Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes and he couldn't understand exactly who Jesus was. He knew God had to be with him, but he couldn't understand all that was involved in it. And whenever Jesus was telling him, you know, feel the breeze on your face, Nicodemus, you know, you... You hear the sound of the wind, you feel it hit your face, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going to. You know, that's the way it is. You have to be born of the Spirit, Nicodemus. Nicodemus couldn't understand that. He said, how can these things be? And that was whenever Jesus said, well, it's kind of like that serpent that was in the wilderness. 
what Jesus was doing was kind of doing a thing that we call typology. There's things that you can read in the Old Testament, and then you'll, you'll come upon them again whenever, whenever you get into the New Testament. And that was what we have here. And so Jesus brings up this story about the serpent in the wilderness. And he puts a strong emphasis on this idea of being lifted up just like this bronze serpent was. And hang on, I forgot to put my thing in place. Anyway, and, uh, and so what he, and what he does was this, as he talks about this, he said, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There was that serpent that was lifted up for people to look to in faith. Jesus is still lifted up in a sense. On the cross, he was lifted up, and by looking to him, we find life. And just as Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter 2, he says, We were dead in trespasses, but God has made us alive together with Christ. He forgave all our trespasses by canceling the debt that was against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. That is what he did. You think about the cross. You think about what it means. And think about this, is that what Jesus did nullified the power of sin and death. The prophet Isaiah even seems to allude to this plague of serpents when he wrote this. And this is the way it puts it in the King James Version. Look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Look to me. Or some of the newer versions are more accurate maybe if they, the way they put it. Turn to me. Turn away from where you are. Look to me. Trust me. And we... Whenever we do this, we have to look at Him not as a diversion in our lives, but a deliverer. We look to Him as the only hope we have in a dying world. We, look to, we, we know the world promises life, but in the end, what it will bring without God is doom and disappointment and death. But everyone who hears and heeds God's call, everyone who heeds that irresistible invitation from God finds life and salvation that will not be regretted. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that we are able to assemble here and do so without fear of reprisal. We're thankful, Lord, also for something that goes beyond anything we can find in the building. We're thankful, Lord, for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. We're thankful for the, uh, for the forgiveness that we find in you. We're thankful that you are worthy of our praise, that you are worthy of, of our worship. Lord, we pray now that you would cause our hearts to be open to your truth. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.